The scripture reading today is uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. The text is on screen. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, nothing, <clears throat> nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because, the Lord, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is God's word. Please be seated. Hello, there you go. Now would be a good time to go move that SUV. No one would know where, uh, if it was you or not. So uh, if you've got children, they're going to Children's Church right now. Um, welcome. If this is your first time here, uh, I am Mike. I'm one of the elders here. I promise it gets better. Uh, so if this is your first time, you should come back. Uh, there are people who are paid to do this professionally. Um, and so uh, it gets better. Um, I want to thank my, I, when, I, when I okayed doing this, uh, I didn't really do the math. My wife is eight months and some weeks pregnant, and so good job for her uh, of not having a baby. I don't know what the backup plan was, some about prayer cloths you're going to sell and some, uh, anyways. Um, thanks for being here today. Um, as we talk about Babel uh, this morning, I want you guys to think about a time uh, when you were like, ah, I'm going to make a name for myself, right? So that's a pretty pertinent verse here uh, that we're going to touch on. And so it uh, could have been a time when you wanted to look good in front of your friends. Uh, maybe uh, if you're a little younger, that special someone at school that you kind of got an eye on. Um, could have been trying to get recognition from your boss. Um, and it could have just been, man, I'm going to make this awesome post on Instagram and people are going to like it, right? Um, so as you guys are chewing on that, let's, uh, let's pray uh, as we open up. Lord, thanks for today. Um, thanks that you've gathered your people here uh, in this beautiful cold winter day uh, so that we can be with each other. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us uh, today through your word. Amen. All right, so uh, I don't have a personal story for this, but I, I find um, getting a name for themselves for me is always, I'm, I'm a big sports guy, and so I go to a lot of live sporting events, uh, and I find people will always want to make a name for themselves on the Jumbotron, right? Like you guys have seen the Jumbotron gets on you and like people go nuts. And I've, I've found, I don't have any data to back this up, but I feel like six-year-olds and 60-year-old dads kind of act the same on the Jumbotron, right? And so 
it's usually dance moves, um, and it's usually not good, right? And so people trying to, we're going to be internet famous or meme famous, trying to get on the Jumbotron. Um, my wife and I went to a, 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 saw a comedian earlier this summer, and, uh, and we saw this firsthand, and there was no Jumbotron, but before the comedian came out, there was this music playing, and everyone's kind of hanging out, and in both of the balconies, there were like competing boomer dads having a dance-off, um, and it was like everybody else was enjoying it except their children, right? There was just hands in the face and going, right? But um, what I kind of chew on when I think of this idea of making a name for ourselves that we're going to see uh, here throughout the story of, of, of Babel here. And so we're going to walk through these verses a little bit one by one uh, and just kind of touch on some different points here. And so uh, verses 1 through 2 of chapter 11 says this. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. Um, so these first verses are meant to just imply the oneness and, and draw you into this idea of connectedness. Uh, there's a lot of different talk of if the oneness was one language in the whole world or if it was one region. I don't know how important that is to start, um, but just this idea of being together. Uh, and then it says that they migrated east. Uh, obviously this in the garden, when you hear the garden story of Adam and Eve, moving eastward marks a separation in the book of Genesis. Uh, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they went east. Um, and as we get later into Genesis chapter 4, uh, we read that earlier uh, this month. It says, <clears throat> talking about Cana, it says that he feared insecurity and was a restless wanderer on the face of the earth. Um, people without a home, this is in our nature, right? People without a home uh, were terrified of being these restless wanderers. I think it aches at us and it, and it hits us. Um, so we want a place to call ours. And so they settled there in the plains of Shinar. Uh, which also opposes uh, what Noah was told earlier uh, in the book of Genesis, to fill the earth, to subdue it. So already we're, uh, we're off to a, a rough start. Okay, so verse 3 says this, it says, um, They said to each other, Come, and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used the bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. The author here feels the need to explain this uh, to the Israelite readers as they would have had readily available stones to work with uh, to make their buildings and their cities. They have this new technology um, where they can, uh, available to them that allows them to create things like never before, right? So we go from the garden uh, to, the tower, or to the plains of Shinar here where they're able to create and use technology. Andy, Andy Crouch has a, has a book called Culture Making that's been really instrumental uh, in my life uh, as, as a leadership role and really talks about this. And he has a, he has a whole chapter on, on Babel and he says this uh, about Babel. I think we have it up on the screen. Uh, Babel is built on technology. It's built on mortar, well-dried bricks, and sophisticated architecture. Mortar, bricks, and city buildings have a different relationship to nature than a garden. Whereas the garden essentially arranges the given goods of nature, a city is built on cultural goods, like bricks, that are dramatic departure from nature. Fundamental reinvention, rein, reinventions of the underlying clay and bitumen. So the premodal story of Genesis begins in a garden and ends in a city. It begins with the shaping of nature, in the garden and ends with the supplanting of nature with a city, all right? So their aim was not just to build a city, but as we'll see in the next verse, it was to make a name for themselves, right? To build themselves a tower up to heaven. Um, there was good separation that God had created between the heavens and the earth on the second day. Um, he made humans dependent on God coming down to them and being with them. We see the same sin here as we do early in Genesis, where we think we know better, and we're going to try to fix it. It's a sin that reverberates its way all the way into our current time, where we think we know better than God's will. 
Um, and we think, man, if God just did it this way, God just listened to me here, be a little bit different. If he understood what I needed right now, things would be a little bit better. So we get into verse 4 here. All right, verse 4 says this, says, then, um, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that they may make a name for, themselves, for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the whole face of the whole earth. Right? So we want the fruits of our work to tell us that we're safe and that we're good enough. Uh, in this country, we get a lot of satisfaction out of work. Uh, we like the grind, right? We, we want to tweet about it. We want to text it. We want to tell everybody about the grind, how hard we're working. Um, we're maniacal on being as productive and effective as possible. We want our work to validate us. We want our jobs to validate us. We want to get a sense of meaning and purpose from every day, right? We punch the clock. We want to have a sense of purpose. The people of Babel wanted that significance as well. They wanted to earn a name for themselves through their work. Tim Keller's got a great book about this called Every Good Endeavor. Uh, it's been, again, just really beneficial in my life, and he has a whole chapter in, in there as well uh, on the book of Babel. Uh, and, and in this, he, he says this, and he speaks this idea of making a name for ourselves. Uh, and so he says this, he says, the motivation for the workers has not changed from that day to this one. It was to maximize their power, their glory, and their autonomy. Yet this boast reveals their radical insecurities. They built the city to make a name for themselves through their accomplishments. But if we lack a name, he says, it means that we don't know who we are. To make a name in the biblical language is to construct an identity for ourselves. We either get our name, our defining essence, security, worth, and uniqueness from what God has done for us and in us, or we go and make one for ourselves. Right? So that's Tim Keller's thought on this, this idea of making a name for ourselves in the Tower of Babel. Uh, this longing to build for ourselves through our own hard work and ingenuity is a problem that's plagued humans ever since the beginning of time. Uh, the people of Babel had another, uh, had another human desire that, that's mentioned in here. Not to be scattered, right? So it says they wanted to build a city so they could make a name for themselves and so they could be united as one people. So not being scattered, the size and the wealth of their city gave them a security, right? Very similar to us, very similar to the things that we wrestle with. They wanted to hunker down with their people, and they wanted to remain close. They wanted to stay in one place, and God always, always, always pushes us to be uncomfortable, to look outward, to send, and to give. When we often look inward for our security and our safety, we hoard power and we hoard glory. Right? So directly against the mandate of the earth uh, that, that was given multiple times in Genesis now, um, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. It's told to people over and over again, uh, one of the guys I was reading said this, said the only rule that God had was like make love and multiply, and we couldn't do that, right? Make love and travel, and we couldn't do that. Like we just, we messed that up, right? And so um, he's like, all right, we got we to gotta figure out a way to fix this. And so God knows what happens when we hunker down uh, and we focus inward. It always leads to unhealthy relationships and selfish desires, all right? Human desire hasn't changed much since then. Uh, we desire what they did. Uh, they aren't wrong but we often look for it in the wrong place. And we want three things I think that they were looking for, we want as well. Uh, we always want a city, right? So that could be a place of community, right? So if you think about yourself, um, you want a city, you want a place of community, right? For some people, it's a spin class. For some people, it's a bar. For some people, it's a mom's group or a pickleball club. Uh, I think we want security. We want to be protected from things. Uh, we spend a lot of money on spyware and on places... Uh, the nest for our home and the ring doorbell so we can feel secure, all right? And I think the last thing is this, we want to matter, right? So we want a city, we want security, and we want to matter. We want to be known in our social circles. We want to do things that add value and feel valuable to us. 
These things are natural human desires. When we seek them outside of God and his design for our own selfish reasons, that's when we get ourselves into hot water. All right, so uh, verse 5 says this. It says, For the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. Uh, this to me, as I was reading through it, like, this is hilarious, right? Like, these guys were building this tower up to the heavens, and God was like, oh, that's cute. Like, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to look at it, right? And so, um, kind, of, kind of for me, as I was reading this, uh, it, it, it did. It made me laugh. of like, oh, that, that's so cute of you. Like, you're going to build a tower up to me. Let, let me come down there and see what you guys are up to. Uh, I think we have a, this is what I pictured God, yeah, oh, you tried, right? Like, that was like, it's what I pictured God saying, like, at least you tried. Good job. Um, and so uh, that was, I don't know if God had, if he had memes, that's the one I think he would have used. Um, and so I think as I was wrestling with this text and, and thinking through this, um, stuff like this where there's like, there's some humor in there, I, I think is, is easy to overlook of uh, we serve a God and we serve a, we serve a creator who I think there's a sense of humor there. And, and I want to show you what I mean a little bit. Uh, thinking about earlier in the garden story when Adam and Eve sinned, and they're kind of hiding, and God knows. Uh, one of my favorite verses in that part is like he comes down, and, and God's like, hey, where are you? Right? Like, I don't, that's funny to me, where he's like, where are you guys? Where are you? Where, where are you at? And like, they're hiding, and they think they're, they're hiding from God. Um, that, to me, makes me laugh. And then there's another one here, I think, when you think about the playfulness of our creator, uh, is in Luke 24, and I think we have, we have this up there. It's uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Uh, and again, I want you to listen to this. And, and tell me that, like, man, the, the God, the creator we serve, the Trinity, doesn't have a little bit of a sense of humor. Uh, and so this starts in verse 13. It says, after Jesus has been resurrected, he's walking on the road with Emmaus with a couple of his buddies, and it says this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had just happened, right, the crucifixion. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing and he said, what is the conversation you guys are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood there and they looked sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things, right? Like, that is hilarious, right? Like, this guy's been crucified, it's him, he's hanging out, and he's like, whoa, what's going on, guys? Um, <clears throat> and they said to him, concerning Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Israel, Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since the things had happened. Um, <clears throat> uh, in, addition to some of the, yeah, in addition to this, some of the women were amazed and they went to the tomb early in the morning. Um, <clears throat> and they said they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Some of those who were with us at the tomb found him just as the woman had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, believe all the prophets have spoken. <clears throat> all right, so again, I, I just love this picture of a, a playful God, a playful trinity of, of people that, man, like, came down to the city in the garden. He was like, oh, where are you guys on the road to Emmaus? He's like, hey, what's going on? What's happening? Uh, I think that's good to remember uh, sometimes when we can read this and think, oh, man, he's just this guy who's mad and in the sky and doing all these different things. Uh, I also want to point, your, uh, point you to Psalm 2. Uh, says this, <clears throat> and again, thinking about, um, oh, I'm coming down this divine inspection. I'm looking at this, uh, this tower. It says this. It says, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. All right. So moving on to verse six. 
So as the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. All right? So uh, the Lord is not threatened uh, by their ambition, but he knows the cultural havoc uh, that they are capable of. Uh, I think this is really similar. I have a three-year-old at home, uh, and my three-year-old, when he wants a pair of scissors, uh, yeah, that's great. He can't be unsupervised, right? Like, it's great for him to have a pair of scissors. I know he's not going to hurt me, but he's going to hurt himself, and he's going to just cause absolute havoc on our house, right? And so, same idea here. Um, God knew the consequences that would happen if they were left unchecked, right? Just like my three-year-old with a pair of scissors in his room cannot be trusted, all right? And so, Verse 7, he says this, he says, uh, come, let us go down and confuse the language so they do not understand each other. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any experience with working with people from a different language or trying to, trying to do some different things with people who, and you don't understand the language. So my, again, my three-year-old goes to a Spanish immersion daycare, and this is only because it's a block from our house. I know about three words in Spanish, uh, Spanish two in my junior year in high school, and I think I cheated my way through that thing. So um, Spanish was not like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have our kid be bilingual. It was simply out of necessity. Um, and so we are in the midst of potty training our, our three-year-old. And uh, so at pickup time, there is the lady who is in there speaks knowing, or she speaks no English. I speak no Spanish. So pickup is always like an interesting dynamic of like, all right, here we go. We're going to f- figure out what happened today. Um, so... Earlier this week, she comes out, and she obviously had something she had to tell me, and I was just, like, ready for it. So she's explaining something that happened during the day, and she's pointing, and she's excited and using things, and I don't know if you've ever, like, talked to someone in a different language where you kind of, like, I was, like, squinting to try to, like, maybe if I, like, squint and, like, try, like, maybe that'll help. Um, I got one, like, the only word I got was pantalones. Like, that, like, something with those pantalones were wrong, and I I don't know. Anyways, I still don't know what the problem was, right? And so, but I get out, and I'm like, hey, buddy, how was your day? And he's like, good. And I was like, yeah, and then we just left. So um, it didn't affect him too much. Uh, But again, it was, like, this sense of, I have no idea what's happening right now. Um, And so again, you think about the Lord comes down and he just confuses the language, right? So you're trying to build a tower. Ah, boy, you're out of luck, right? I can't even figure out pants and whatnot. Um, I can't imagine building the tower. All right? Um, So with that, right? So he confuses the language. I want to turn your uh, attention to Acts 2, chapters, uh, or verses 5 through 13. All right, so the Lord has just come down, uh, and this is, this is the time of Pentecost, and we'll, and we'll read this. It says, Now uh, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phryga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? The beauty of the story and the scattering of the peoples and the confusing of the language comes full circle here in Acts 2 with Pentecost. The Lord pours out his Holy Spirit, The people become one family. Language is no longer a barrier to them. Pentecost shows that national distinctions, language, and culture are secondary to the union of people in Christ. 
Right? So from here, verse 8 says this. Uh, the Lord scattered them from there, from all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. So the Lord dispersed them. He didn't blow it up. He didn't flood it. He left the monument half finished. Um, I kind of picture like a dune-like landscape, right, where there's like a weird buildings and there's sand blowing. And um, I don't know, that came into my head. There's a couple of you dune fans out there, so that's for you guys. Um, so there's this half-finished city in the middle of the desert. Um, and kind of wondered, uh, got me chewing on and thinking like, have where are places that I have abandoned towers in my life, right? I think we're often embarrassed of the towers that we leave half-built uh, and constructed to make a name for ourselves. Uh, it's not in the text, but I wonder how many people saw that half-built city and wondered what it was all about. Ask questions, man, what, what was that? Why did they start doing that? I think God uses our crummy kind of half-built towers to remind us and others that making a name for ourselves usually doesn't end well. Just like the Jumbotron dances, right? It's kind of cringy, all right? And so I think that's a good thing to remind us and point ourselves back to. Tim Keller says this, uh, when we have a broken tower in our, in our world or in our life, there's four reactions. The first one is to blame the idol, right? So whatever that idol is, we want to blame that. Oh, like, oh, man, she wasn't it. She wasn't my soulmate. She's got to be out there somewhere else, right? We blame ourselves. Ah, if I just worked harder, if I just studied more, if I just worked out more, I could get this thing. We blame the world. Uh, we give up. Uh, we become numb or we self-medicate. Uh, or the fourth thing is this. We realize we were created for something else, uh, and that something is a relationship with our creator. We're trusting in these towers to give us something that only God can give us. There's a quote here from uh, The Weight of Glory, a C.S. Lewis book, uh, and it says this, and I think this is just a really good feel um, for, again, that thing of chasing and chasing and chasing and never having enough. And it, uh, and so it says, sorry, that's yeah, a little small. I'll read it for you here. Uh, this is from The Weight of Glory. It says, The books or the music in which we thought beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if we are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself. They are only a scent or a flower. We have not found the echo or a tune we have not heard, or we have not found an echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Jonathan Edwards has a similar saying, uh, or a similar quote, and he says this, he says, to fully enjoy God, it is infinitely better than most pleasant accommodations here, better than fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Edwards calls it a shadow, and Lewis calls it a scent of what we really desire. Our need for validation and recognition from our work, our grades, our social status, it's a scent. Uh, it can't fully satisfy that which God can give us. The scent will always be just a whiff. The taste will never fill us up. There are fleeting pleasures that we chase. So in verse 9 it says this. It says, this is why, the, why it was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Right? So it's called Babel here. It's called Babylon everywhere else. Uh, and you know Babylon is a symbol for man's opposition to sin. Uh, man's opposition to scripture. Uh, Babylon was the capital city of Israel's worst enemies in the Old Testament. And in Revelation... Babylon is called a dwelling place for demons and whores, all right? And so um, that's kind of the, the symbolism there, and it wouldn't be lost on, on the people reading this. 
Uh, so as we wrap up, I want to think about, I want us to think about how stories like these make us feel. What do they do for us? I think we're pinged by this human need to be known, uh, really known, not just through our socials or surface level at our workplaces. We want to feel significance. We want to feel that our purpose is greater than the tedium of kind of day-to-day grind. Uh, and the only guarantee of this comes from having a personal relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. I want to read this uh, from Psalm 139, uh, and I really want us to soak this up. And so this has been a really good verse for me, a really good chapter for me. Um, but I really want to, for you guys to take in kind of what this says here. All right, uh, this is 130, Psalm 139, uh, verses 1 through 18. All right, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind, the, behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful me, wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. <clears throat> where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, or even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. <clears throat> your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Guys, our worth and our value and everything we, we get is from him, right? Is from the creator. So what's the hope for us? Um, what do we take away from something like this? Uh, I think is this, is, is on, the, on the sins, the sins on the plains of Shinar gave reason and gave rise to what we hear in Revelation uh, verses 7, 9 through 10. <clears throat> it, says after, it says this, After this I looked up, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits at the throne, and to the Lamb. God has a plan. God used the arrogance, the pride, uh, the deceitfulness of the people. Um, he scattered them, and he confused them, and he sent them out. Uh, and that, that language and that disbursement gave rise to a beautiful, diverse population praising God at the end of days. God has a plan for our arrogance, our human disobedience, and he's not surprised by it. He's used it for his glory. Our arrogance, pride, and ignorance can still and will be used for his good. Next week, we get to learn about God building back this tower uh, with a sterile, old, frail guy in the desert, right? So he can take it, and he can make it good, and he will. So let's pray. Lord, thanks for today. Um, Thanks for the fact that you take our mess You take our pride, you take our arrogance, and you work it for your good. Lord, uh, we no longer need a tower to come up to you because you have come to us in Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would surrender that to you, um, Lord, and that we would just be willing vessels uh, to just do your work on, on this earth 
in our workplaces, at our schools. In your name, amen.